Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. It's one of those um, characters in Scripture that uh, sticks in your memory. You know, if you went to uh, Sunday school or or anything like that when you were a kid, you probably, I suspect, remember the story of Gideon. Uh, it's really quite something. And there's tons of stuff in there that we can dig out, and we're not going to get to talk about uh, a lot of stuff. Um, we're, uh, last week, uh, Alex was speaking uh, on uh, Deborah and Barak, and the week before that, Josh Fillmore brought us into the book of Judges and talked about Othniel and some of those early chapters in Judges. We're today, we're looking at Gideon. Next Sunday morning, Doug Campbell's going to be talking with us about Samson. And then we're into the book of Ruth. So the book of Judges, uh, if you're not reading it, you're going to miss a lot of things. You're, not, you're going to miss all about Jephthah. Uh, you're, going to, you're, you're not going to hear about uh, the Levite and his concubine. You're not going to know about the... Um, um, uh, Micah and his idol or about the civil war that happens at the end of the book of Judges, you're not going to get any of that because we do not have time to cover it in this three-year journey through the Bible. So I would encourage you to be, to be reading. Even the details of Gideon's story, we're going to miss a lot of them today because there's just too many for us to cover in this setting. So your personal reading and studying is, is vital. It's vital. And I tell you, the book of Judges, uh, it just reads almost like a seedy novel. It's very earthy. I think Alex talked a little bit about this last week, and, and I think maybe Josh mentioned it as well. But this is, uh, we're talking, uh, yeah, uh, kind of a, uh, I don't say R-rated book of the Bible, but it's, uh, it certainly uh, doesn't shy away from the um, what fallen human society is capable of. And uh, anyways, in the, in, the, in the passages today that we're looking at, it, it does, it, you know, some of this is there. But there are other parts coming up. We're not going to be talking a lot about Abimelech. You might not even know who Abimelech is. Let me just say that after the text we're looking at today, Gideon didn't, he didn't finish as well as he started. And uh, which is actually fairly typical of a lot of biblical characters. He ends up um, with, uh, if you read on in chapter 8 and chapter 9, he ends up with many wives and 70 uh, sons and a, at least one concubine in the city of Shechem who gave birth to Abimelech. And Abimelech uh, was a piece of work. One of the things that he did right off the get-go was he convinced his mother's relatives to massacre all 70 of his brothers so that he could rule over Israel. And he ruled over Israel for three years. And during that time, a short period of time, but he managed to do a whole lot of other unkingly things like burn a thousand people alive in a fortress. Um, if you don't read it, you won't get that and you won't get the full impact of what's going on here in the book of Judges. But for today, let's... Uh, Let's, uh, um, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about this pattern. I, I, I do want to, I want to stop and pray, um, but this is the pattern that Alex mentioned last week. I wasn't here last Sunday, but I did, I watched the, the message on video, and, and uh, I know that he mentioned this, this pattern, and, and the significance of this pattern is, is this pattern is very front and center in, throughout the book of Judges, and it, uh, and it's bigger than that even because it's, uh, it's evident in our lives, yours and mine. Um, 
I, I think the pattern rightly starts at the top with the rest that the people enjoyed when God brought them into the land and, and won uh, uh, their battles or uh, uh, gave them victory. And from that victory came periods of rest. In fact, in the book of Judges, where four times it says, and the land had rest for 40 years during the days of this judge or whatever. I think once it's 80 years and the others are 40. Uh, the last time that phrase occurs is at the end of the story of Gideon. The land had rest for 40 years. So that's where, the, uh, that's where it starts. But, but it's no sooner had the people, would the people get victory then they would uh, apostatize, which is a big word. It means to fall away. They would fall, they would fall away. They would turn away from the Lord, and they, and they would uh, do, you know, do evil in the sight of the Lord. Sometimes it says, and other times it would come out and say that they served Baal and the other gods of the Canaanites and the peoples amongst whom they lived. And that's very much, uh, you're going to see that in the, in the, in the uh, account of Gideon today. And then, of course, uh, as a result of the falling away would come the bondage because God would use the nations. God brought Israel into the land to judge the nations for their sin and for the evil of their society. And then God doesn't show favorites. When, the pe when his people would turn away from him and do evil, God would use the nations to judge them. And so a lot of the, the killing and, and, and everything that you see in the book of Judges that's so appalling, we have to understand that it is judgment. And judgment comes as a result of apostasy. The word bondage because A, B, C, D, E, right? The whole, that's what Alex mentioned to you. A, B, C, D, E, A, apostasy, B, bondage. C, cries. The people would cry out. In their misery, they would cry out to God. And, and God would send them a deliverer. One of the things that I have uh, this time through Book of Judges, I like to know, I like to think I know the Bible fairly well. I've studied it probably more than the average person. And, but I never, I never really picked up on this until this time through. That, that I, I, want, I look at that and I want to insert repentance there. My systematic theology texts would want me to insert repentance there, that, that the people would fall away and that God would judge them and, and then they would repent. But a lot of times when you read through the book of Judges, it doesn't show that way. Not to say that repentance isn't important or that we shouldn't repent because obviously there's lots of scripture that calls us to repent. But the, but the thing that, that struck me this time through was a lot of times God wouldn't even wait for the people to repent. He responded to their cries. And the cries weren't always cries of repentance. A lot of times it was just cries of just sheer plain misery. Because God has a hard time allowing his people to just to suffer, even if it's therefore our own fault, which it always is, or somebody else's fault. I mean, it's our fault. Because he has a heart for us. He feels our, our pain. And God would send a deliverer. And, he, and the deliverers, these, these deliverers, men like Gideon, women like Deborah, would, would deliver the people out of their, their predicaments. And the people would enjoy rest, peace, blessing, uh, shalom, but no sooner would that happen than there was that falling away, that turning away from God. Now, if you don't recognize that in your own life, uh, maybe, it's, maybe it could be because you've never, um, because you haven't experienced God's deliverance in your life. But for those of you who know Jesus, you, you should recognize this pattern in your life. Josh called it the toilet effect because it's not a circle. It's a downward spiral. It doesn't go on forever. Um, there is an end to it. Um, 
Yeah, so the story of Gideon, and let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for this group of people. Thank you for each one here today, Lord, and we just come to you together at this time, even now, and lift our hearts and our prayers to you and ask that you would bless the, your word to our hearts today, that we would um, have the ability, that you would give us the ability to be a, a, attentive to what your word says and what, it's, uh, what you want to say to us through your word this day. And we pray, Lord, that that the results of that would be uh, just uh, tremendous um, growth for your for your people, that all of us would be uh, would be changed today, that your word word would change our hearts and change our lives today, as we look to you in Jesus' name, Amen. The story of Gideon is a story of great renown. It's a famous biblical story. A young man beating out wheat in his father's wine press. Difficult, hot, dirty work made ten times harder by the fact that uh, you're confined to the depressions of the earth. You can't be out on the threshing floor where the cool uh, Mediterranean breeze is blowing the chaff away. You're in, this, in the wine press because you're, you're hiding out because you know that if you're out in plain sight at any point in time, the, uh, the Midianite marauders can sweep through and not, not only take away all your grain, but take away all your animals and even, even your tents, just clean you right out. And maybe, maybe even your life would be, would be gone. And, and the early verses of chapter 6 in Judges uh, describe the situation where people are so desperate that they're living in caves and animal dens just to stay uh, alive. Uh, Judges chapter 8 tells us that later on, before this whole scene is over, 120,000 Midianite soldiers would be dead. 120,000. The Midianites were were just completely overwhelming the, uh, the land and the people. And it had been going on for seven years. Put yourself in young Gideon's shoes. What a miserable existence. What could be done? What should be done? You might say, well, I'll call the police. Well, there are no police. These are foreign armies. These are, these are nations of people that don't care about your laws and they don't care about the God who gave you those laws and they don't care about you. And so there is nobody, no police that you can call. And um, these were just perilous, perilous days. They were perilous days to live in and a lot of people died in them as well. The book of Judges makes this comment on itself. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel, so every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's the way the, uh, the book of Judges uses to describe the, the, the climate or the environment that we're talking about. Now, this is a long ways from jo- Joshua, <laughs> the days of Joshua. You know, where you have... Uh, coming out of Numbers and Deuteronomy and, and the wilderness into the land, you have God spelling out in, in amazing detail how the order for society, the laws, the legal system, the justice system, and, and at the center of it all is their relationship with God and how they were to worship God alone and how that was to be reflected in their lives and how they treated one another and how they lived their lives with order and peace and victory and blessing. And God goes to amazing lengths if you read through Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 to 30 to describe all of the blessings if they followed him. And all the curses if they didn't. You know, your crops will do amazing if you follow the Lord. If you don't follow the Lord, the armies are going to come in. They're going to steal all your grain. That's the way it's going to go. And so um, all kinds of detail. And then as we come in, you know, but th- this is a new day. A new day, new generation. Um, thinking of the context of the story of Gideon in the book of Judges, a period of about 400 years following the initial conquest. And we're told this in... Uh, in uh, 
I'm going to skip Judges 1, 6, and 7, uh, Mitchell. I'm going to skip through and go to Judges. Um, where am I going to go? No, that's later in my notes. I, 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 I knew I had too many notes, but I thought I could navigate them all right here, but um, my mind is uh, slipping. Uh, in those days, every, there was no king in Israel. Every, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Um, yeah, there's another passage, passage in Judges chapter 2, and I don't have it here. We'll, we'll come back to it. Let's go to the story of Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. It has to do with the context. Um, and we will, we will come back, because it, it is later in my notes. I remember I put it later in my notes. I, I don't know why, but I did. It has to do with the context, the generations. But uh, this is Gideon's generation. Uh, Judges 6, 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord, so, there, so think that pattern, right? So, so look at back at verse 31 of chapter 5. You don't have this one, Mitchell. It's okay. The very last thing it says before chapter 6 is, and the land had rest for 40 years. So there, there's the, the start of the pattern. The land had rest for 40 years. Re the word rest, I, I can't urge you enough to study this yourself. Rest, peace, uh, shalom, the whole idea. It just doesn't mean, it, it's a word that's it's pregnant with meaning. It's, it's, it's even coming into the New Testament. It's just it, Jesus saying, you know, all you who are weary and heavy, heavy laden, you know, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. There's, there's just so much to that, that concept. Um, but anyways, that's, how, that's the last verse of chapter 5. Chapter 6, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So there's the falling away, right? And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. So there's the judgment, the judgment of the, of the foreign invaders invading uh, their land. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of the Midian, of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves dens that are in the mountains and caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them and they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land. Excuse me. As far as uh, Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or oxen or, or donkeys. You know, you might be sitting here in 2019 thinking, oh, big, big deal, what's a, what's a donkey or a few sheep? This was their livelihood. They depended on these things. This was their life. They would starve to death. And I'm sure many of them probably, uh, probably did. It was, it was a terrible situation. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land. Uh, verse 4 says, verse 5 says, for they, they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts in number. You might never have seen that. You might see it on video online or something. Go online and check that out. What, it, what it's like to have a, uh, a swarm of locusts invade a, um, a countryside. Uh, it says that both they and their camels could not be counted. You look at them and you couldn't even count them. They were so numerous. And Israel was brought very low, it says, verse 6, because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out to, uh, for help to the Lord. So there's the, the pattern again, the crying out. So um, that's the first six verses of chapter um, uh, 6. And then verse 7 says, When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the, uh, the Lord sent them, verse 8, a prophet. So, which is, which is interesting because um, it'd be kind of like you mm, thinking you need a mechanic and God sends you a, a, a new car salesman. We don't need a prophet. We need a deliverer. So why does God send them a prophet? And, and, what, and uh, what, what's, uh, what's this all about? It says, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, what's this prophet going to do? What do prophets do? What do prophets do? 
they preach or they prophesy, right? That's what prophets do, okay? So, and that is what he's going to do. And so he opens his mouth and he says to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt, brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not uh, fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So here is a prophet that God has sent to the people and he's prophesying to them, and what he's doing is he's preaching the word to them. Because that's all, that none of that is new revelation. That's all old revelation. That's stuff that God has already said and already done and already talked about and, and expressed it to them over and over and over again. And the role of the prophet here, at least in this case, is simply just to point them to what God has already revealed. Because... Here's the thing about Revelation. What is going to happen and what is happening is the result of what has already happened. God, when God, the thing about God is he can't lie. <laughs> when he says something, it's going to happen. When he says something is the way it is, that is the way it is. Nothing can change that. Even God himself can't change that because God can't say one thing one day and turn around and say something different the next. That's not the type of God he is. He's the God of truth, the God of justice, and, and the prophet uh, that, that uh, God sends here, that's what he does. Now, we, let's keep moving through because it is, a, it is a, lot, a lot of text here and we're not going to uh, go through it all, but uh, we want to get to the... To the the uh, kind of what I think is the heart of the story here with Gideon, and that's what we're coming into now, is because God, what's God going to do next? Think of the pattern. What's he going to do? The role of the prophet here is basically to show them, this is why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. The reason things are happening right now in your life are because... You didn't do what God said you needed to do. He told you. God told you, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. If you do this, this will happen. And what did you do? You did that. You did not obey the voice of God. That's what the prophet says. So what's God going to do next? He's going to send a deliverer. Were the people repentant? We have no indication of that. But God is going to take pity on them. I think of all the instances in my life that God was merciful to me and my attitude stunk. <laughs> I wasn't repentant. I didn't even realize that, that the mess in my life was my own fault. I wanted to blame somebody else. And yet God still was merciful to me. I remind you that grace is unmerited favor. If there was anything you or I could do to merit or to deserve God's mercy in sending a deliverer for us, then it wouldn't be grace. And God is a God of grace. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, uh, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, two things here. One, later on he's going to say, I am not a mighty man of valor, okay? Let's get that straight. So he's going to, uh, he's got two problems here. Number, number one is you're calling me a mighty man of valor and you got the wrong neighborhood. You got the wrong guy. 
Uh, but the other thing is, is, is this other thing he's got that immediately comes to Gideon's mind in his ears. He says, and this is classic. He says, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Um, when we read scripture and we read these accounts and we read about these people, we have a tendency to think that they are so different than we are or we're so different than they are and we miss the whole point of scripture. A lot of times we miss the whole point of scripture because the differences aren't really important. What matters is the commonalities because you and I are very much like Gideon. How many times have you said or thought, even if you didn't say it, if God really is God and if he really is all-powerful and, and, he, and he really does care, then why is this happening to me? We say that all the time. It's our, our, it's our mantra almost. And it's the, uh, it's the sentiment that was common in Gideon's day and it's common in our day. Try to have a conversation with somebody about the Lord, about God, and the first thing that the, a person who is not a, a follower of Christ or, or somebody who believes in the Lord and seeks to follow him, the first, one of the first things they bring up is, is, well, how come all this stuff is happening? How come all this bad stuff is happening? If what you're saying is true and there really is a God and he really does care, that doesn't make sense to me because look at all this stuff that's happening. And what we tend to be ignorant of is the same thing that Gideon was ignorant of, which is the whole point of all the background we just read, which is the reason that things are happening is because of the choices that people make, ourselves included. You can't live bad and feel good. It doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. And yet we somehow forget. And we live in what we would call a God, we wouldn't, but people would call a God-forsaken world. You know, that's what Gideon, that's what Gideon basically says here. God has forsaken us. If, uh, oh... Where is that passage? It's gotta, it's gotta be here somewhere. The one I tried to find earlier because I, it's like it's disappeared out of my notes. I know it's chapter two. Um, it, it is, yeah, chapter two, verse ten. That's the one I'm looking for, and, and also verse eleven and twelve. Uh, so it's in your notes somewhere there, Mitchell. Um, Judges two, go go there if if you can. Judges two, verse ten. And all that generation, what generation is he talking about? He's talking about the generation of Joshua, right? All that generation were gathered to their fathers. That's a nice way of saying they died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So try to picture this in your mind. Hundreds of years have passed. The generation that we're looking at here, uh, there's a lot of history there, a lot of personal history. Births and, and deaths and birthdays and anniversaries and, and, uh, um, and, and fights and makeups and, and a lot of personal history, a lot of living going on. And, uh, but it's, it's a new generation and it's described... Uh, in Judges 2, verse 10, as a generation uh, that did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Now, it doesn't mean that they didn't know about the Lord. It doesn't say that. It says they didn't didn't know the Lord. There's a difference, right? How many of you know there's a difference between knowing about the Lord and knowing the Lord? And it doesn't say that they didn't know about the works. They knew about the works. You see that as we read on in Gideon in uh, Judges 6. Gideon, he had heard. Uh, that's why he says, if the Lord is with us, why are all these things happening? And then he goes on to say, um, 
in verse uh, 14 or 15, is it? Where are all his wonderful deeds? Verse, uh, the last part of verse 13. Where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us out of out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of the Midianites. So it wasn't that they didn't know about the Lord or that they didn't know about his works, but they didn't know. It says, Judges 2 verse 10, they didn't know the Lord and they didn't know his works. There's a difference. And all of us as parents, I think we, we should understand that difference when it comes to our children and what they know intellectually and what they actually know in their hearts. And uh, in chapter 2, it goes on, uh, just before we go back to chapter 6 here, verse 11 says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Verse 12 says, And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They abandoned the Lord. What does Gideon say in uh, chapter 6, verse uh, 13? The last part. But now the Lord has forsaken us. Who forsook who? In Gideon's mind, you see, in Gideon's mind, God has forsaken us. Is that what was really going on? No. That's not why this is happening. This is happening because of the choices that you and your people have made. Your families, you've, you've forsaken taken the Lord. So, uh, so Gideon's got some... Uh, some learning to do, and we have some learning to do on this too. Um, verse 15, and, the, and he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? So um, uh, the angel of the Lord has said to him, O mighty man, go, mighty man, uh, and, uh, and deliver your people. And he's saying here, uh, <laughs> how can I save Israel? And then, he, and then he does the thing, right? He says, behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So you got the wrong guy, which is very similar to what um, Moses said, right? In fact, there's a lot of parallels here between the Gideon, God's dealings with Gideons and God's dealing with Moses and Joshua because both Moses and Joshua, God said exactly the same things to them as he says here to Gideon. He says, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. Those are very important words, aren't they? Gideon's saying like, okay, this is never going to work. You got the wrong guy. You know, there's 120,000 Midianite soldiers out there. I belong to uh, the, 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 the least of the tribe of Manasseh and my father's, my father's house, that is, or family, my family does. And in my family, I am the runt. Reminds me of David here too, right? As these themes are developed through Scripture. And, and God's response to him is, ah, that doesn't really matter. I will be with you. This is not about you or what you can do or what you think you can't do. This is about what I am prepared to do in and through you and for you and your family and your people. Notice it says, you shall strike the Midianites as one man. We do not have time here to develop this, this at all, but I hope that you will take note of it when you're reading through the book of Judges. And it's this, that there is a very, very strong sub-theme that carries through the book of Judges. It comes out of uh, previous books, Deuteronomy, Numbers. We've talked a little bit about it. It's this whole idea that we're in this together and brother helping brother, and our victory is partly contingent upon our uh, 
goodwill towards our brothers and our willingness to cooperate together and be in this together. Remember the, the tribe of um, Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh on the, uh, the east side? You can't rest until you've helped your brothers. Uh, after you've helped your brothers win their rest, you can rest. Remember that? But all the way back in, into the book of Numbers and so on, this, this idea. Well, in the book of Judges, it keeps coming up again and again and again. It's not, a, it's not some kind of just uh, uh, incidental thing that Gideon's son, Abimelech, talks to his mother's family and convinces them to help him kill all 70 of his brothers. And the, the this, um, the downward spiral of the nation is also a disintegration of the relationships. And you say, you know, that's, that's an important sub-theme in the book of Judges. Is it important to you or me? Listen, you get into the New Testament, and you, if you read it and study it and understand it for what God is really saying there, you will, you will understand this, that your relationship with God is partly contingent upon your relationship with the people around you. You can have victory in your life and have a, a good relationship with God and not have a good relationship with the people around you. You have to be there for your brothers. And they need to be there for you. And the book of Judges, in showing us the, the immense depravity and the disintegration of the culture, this is all part of it. And it's an important part of it. And you, uh, you can dig it out. The book of Judges ends in civil war. Read, read chapter 9. We're not going to get there today, and we're not going to get there next week because Doug's going to jump us in a book in a, in a Samson. Read the story of Abimelech. It's not easy reading. If you really read it, it's like it'll shake you up because God wants to shake us up. He wants us to see what life is really like without him when we turn away from him. God doesn't give uh, Gideon the details. He just says, I'll be with you, and you will, you will strike the Midianites as one man. Verse 16. That's a picture of unity. Unity of purpose. I thought about that picture of everybody giving uh, the thumbs up last Sunday night. I think, oh, I'm going to make that my screensaver. That's a good picture. Not to downplay the fact that we don't always agree on everything, but, but, to, but to upplay this idea that we're in this together. I mean, move forward together because we're brothers and sisters. And the minute that stops, everything stops. We don't go forward. And we don't go forward in our relationship with God either. Because God's not honored by that. We could go all the way back, go all the way back to Joseph. If you ever found it curious that when you're reading these stories, hundreds and hundreds of years and generations and generations later, still using the first names of those brothers. Sometimes it just says, and, and Reuben went and talked to Gad. Well, Reuben's like thousands of people. Doesn't matter. We're still talking brothers and sisters. Pick that out here as you read. It's really, really important. We aren't even to the good part yet. Um, I will be with you. Gideon knows he's inadequate, and he knows his faith is weak. Um, and, and that's an important point here, too, because... Um, God doesn't give all the, you know, he doesn't give all the details to him and say, this is how you're going to do it. He just says, I will be with you. And, and that's important. The only, uh, only main point of concern, all the equipping that he needs for, uh, uh, for this is on the sole basis of God's presence and power in his life. Yahweh is the only essential. 
Your relationship with God is everything. Gideon is utterly inadequate and he knows it. And you're inadequate and I'm inadequate. inadequate. And that's a, a good thing to know because God can work with inadequate people. It's the proud people that he can't do anything with. It's the proud he's far from. When we realize how weak we are, God says, okay, I can do something with that. Gideon knows that, and, and, that's, and that's good. And he's weak, and he asks God for a sign. And then he goes and prepares lunch. And this isn't fast food either. You can read it in the verses that follow there. He goes and he, and he kills a young goat, and, and he makes gravy, meat, potatoes, and gravy. He makes a whole great big meal, and he brings it back, and he puts it there uh, the angel of the Lord says, yeah, I'll stay for lunch. Put that right there on that rock. So Gideon sets the meal on the rock, and he steps back, and the angel of the Lord takes the staff that's in his hand. Very interesting, by the way. Takes the staff that's in his hand and touches the, 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 the meal with the staff, and fire comes out from the rock and consumes the meal. That's a pretty good sign. And so Gideon's happy, happy with that. Uh, it bolsters his, his faith. Um, his, his, his initial response, though, is fear, and you can appreciate that. Um, but let's, let's go on. Um, Judges 6, 25, 27. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the sacred bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. What? This is a whole new day. This is a whole new generation. There arose in Israel a generation who knew not the Lord nor his works. And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. He was afraid. He did it, (laughs) but he was afraid. And God didn't chastise him for being afraid. God didn't say, well, if you're going to be afraid, cat, then I can't use you. We're getting here a, a real glimpse, and it's a startling glimpse into the personal lives and the social fabric of the families in Israel at this time in history. Remember when Josh Fillmore was here two weeks ago, he he said this. He said, the compromises, our compromises today will need to be the changes we make tomorrow. And that's that's where Israel was. That's where the the nation of Israel was. They had compromised. They had compromised. And where did it take them? Here's Gideon's home, his family, with an altar to Baal and an Asherah pole right in their front yard. And God said to Gideon, first thing you need to do is you need to get rid of that. You need to tear that down. Burn it. We could talk a little bit about Christian sanctification and how we're supposed to be in the world but not of the world. Or we're supposed to be in the world, but we're not supposed to have the world in us. We could even talk about intermarriage, because in in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, do not be yoked uh, together unequally. Do not be unequally yoked together. Don't, and, and God had told the Israelites, when you go in there, don't leave the people, 
disperse them because if you leave them, they will be snares to you. And if you give your daughters to them in marriage, they'll end up worshiping their gods. And you, if, you, if your sons take their daughters in marriage, they'll end up worshiping their gods. And that's exactly what happened. And the misery. Make the connection. Draw the line. The misery of their lives. Young people, I know it's hard sometimes to, to, to not find yourself in a place where you have the kind of feelings for somebody who's not a believer that might tempt you to pursue that relationship and end up in an unequal marriage. But I would urge you to talk to somebody who's gone down that road. Understand Gideon is like, my life, my family, my, my life is horrible. And it's been like this for, se- for seven years. In my conscious memory, for seven years, it's, been, it's just been absolutely, totally horrible. Is there anything can be done about this? What, what can I do? What, what can anybody do? And God comes to Gideon, and Gideon says, you're the man. He says, I, I'm not the man. I can't do anything. And God says, no, I will be with you. But the first thing you need to do is you need to address the number one problem. And it's not those Midianites out there. It's that altar right there. You need to deal with that. And he was afraid. So he did it at night. What you have to understand about Baal. Baal is uh, the God, the chief, one of the chief deities of the Canaanites. We're talking about a, a system of worship. We're talking about people's core beliefs and values that shape their lives. And Baal was their chief, uh, one of their chief deities, and he was a storm god, and he was god of fertility. And he had a female counterpart. Her name was Ashtaroth. And Ashtaroth uh, was like his other. And so the, the Canaanites believed that the renewing of the earth, fertility, crops, babies, everything, uh, was all the result of Baal and Ashroth having sex and having a cosmic orgasm. And that's where life gets renewed. And if that's, if you find that disturbing, it even gets more disturbing because they also believed that, they, that Baal and Ashroth could be encouraged to have sex by watching them have sex. So they developed a system of uh, temple prostitutes. So their worship included this, these acts of what they considered to be sacred sex where men would go and there would be uh, women who were, uh, it was their religious duty to offer themselves sexually and this was their worship. This was part of their worship. They believed it was sacred. Yahweh did not consider it sacred. Yahweh considered it an abomination. And I hope that you've gotten to the place in your life where you realize it's an abomination. It's not good. It's not right. It's not true. It's not helpful. It's the road to destruction. But they believed this. And so God calls Gideon. He says, the first thing you need to do is tear down that that altar and cut down that Asherah pole because Baal may be tolerant but Yahweh is a jealous God and he won't share his glory with another. They were polytheists, right? So Gideon does. He does it. Tears it all down. Burns it all up. And waits for morning. 
What's his dad going to say? Sacrifice his bulls. Tore down his altar. You know, the, the, the Bible says that uh, honor your father and mother. But what does that look like and what does it not look like? Jesus said that the enemies of, are, your enemies will be of your own household. He said, he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. But morning comes. And uh, uh, the morning comes and so does the confrontation. But it's not his dad. We don't, we don't know what's going on with his dad, but maybe his dad was in the house trying to pull himself together and saying, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. You know how dads do that, right? What am I going to do? But it's the neighbors. You can read it. It's there in the passage. It's the neighbors they come. And they say to, to uh, what's his name? I was going to say Joash. It's not Joash, is it? What's Joash? Say to Joash, send your son out. Because he needs to die. He's offended Baal. You know, sometimes... Sometimes as people who are getting to know God, and this is Gideon's situation, he's getting to know God, sometimes you've got to take a stand. Even, even if it means standing alone. And sometimes, and we pray it doesn't happen, sometimes that means taking a stand even against our own family. The neighbors want to say, send him out. Now, something happens here, and I don't want to read too much into it, but Joash, it sounds like God used Gideon's stand to do something. Mm -hmm. Because Joash, what Joash says to the, the neighbors is, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says basically something like this. I'll tell you what. If it's Baal he's offended, then let's let Baal deal with him. And that argument seemed to diffuse the angry mob. But I can't help but think about what happened that day in Joash's heart. And I wonder sometimes... Who may be waiting for you to take a stand? Even if they don't realize that's what they're waiting for. It could be somebody in our own family. Waiting for you or waiting for me to take a stand. You know, the so-called heroes of the faith are actually anti-heroes, aren't they? They're, uh, they're just nobodies who can't do anything. <laughs> and God says, that's perfect. That's the kind of people I'm looking for. Now, these are themes, I, I tell you, that these are just not, you know, we're in the book of Judges, but let me, let, me read, let me read a scripture to you. This is from the New Testament. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of you were noble, of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that is, as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. That's the New Testament. Or take a look at this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. This is Paul again. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us.
later on, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so out of time, I'm more than out of time. But later on, when, when the battle is engaged, they have, it ends up being 300 men. The process, right, 300 men, you know, they, when he puts out the battle cry, I know we never talked about the fleece, right? That's okay. You can read it. It puts out the cry, and the tribes come, and the people come, and there's uh, 32,000, I think, respond. And God says, oh, that's too many. Uh, send all the ones who are afraid home, which is direct fulfillment of Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 24, something like that, where God tells them to do that. Now they've only got 10,000 men. He says, oh, that's still too many. 120,000 Midianite soldiers that we know of. 10,000 men, ah, still too many. Take them down to the water and let them drink. And then after they've done that, he says, now all the ones who scooped up the water and, and lapped, uh, you see them? Yeah, well, you see all the other guys that got down and on their knees and, and drank. Uh, he says, send them all home too. Which left 300 uh, dog lappers. And then, then God says, okay, now take, take uh, a torch in one hand and a clay jar in the other. Uh, put the clay jar under your arm for a minute. Grab your trumpet. There's a whole, there's a whole, there's a whole thing in here. We're, we're missing out. You have to read it. But that, those 300 men, it's, and, and the text says, the text says, the reason that, that God kept doing that, it's right there in the text. Somebody find it. Where God says, God says, the reason I'm doing this is because I don't want anybody to say that you did this. I want them to understand it's me that's doing this. Do you find that text yet? It's there. Pardon? Chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand saved me. Thank you very much. That's the one. Yeah. See, right? God says it right out there. This is, this is why I'm doing it this, is, this way. This is what this is all about. This is the point, if you will. Right? Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, but he said to me, Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is not some, just some Old Testament story. This is God revealing to you and me the way he works in our lives. It is a profound and, and a profoundly important truth. Because we all are like Gideon. We all feel inadequate. Oh, I know there are proud people, and I know there some, that there are people who, who really think there's something. You know, who, who just basically get up every day and say, all right, I got this. I don't need any help. <laughs> I got it. But I don't think you're one of those people. I know I'm not one of those people. And so I need this. I need to understand this. I need to take a hold of this and let it take a hold of me. Because the, the Bible goes on to say things like this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you've got God in your life, when God is with you, like he said he'd be with Gideon, it, the rest of the stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you have or what kind of a family you come from or, or what, how good looking you are or anything. It all doesn't matter. The only thing that really matters is that you have God in your life. But let me ask you that today. Do you have God in your life? We say, well, how do I, how do I know? Well, have you asked him? Have you invited him in? Or are you still getting up every day and saying, I think I got this? Have you humbled yourself before God? Have you come to him and said, Lord, God of heaven and earth, your word says you sent your son to save me because I can't save myself. I'm lost. I'm condemned. I need you. Because he says he'll respond to that prayer. He says he will honor that prayer and respond. We didn't talk about Gideon's fleeces and his... Uh, his asking for signs and all that kind of stuff. But um, there, there's, yeah, there's a lot. I Read, read, read about the ephod that he, that he made. Read about his family. Um, 
because we're out of time. Um, will, you, will you stand with me? There's so much stuff in there. You know, you just, you just, if you study it and read it, it's just like, it's amazing. But the thing that really stood out to me, I, I mentioned already that idea that, you know, that God, you know, he didn't even wait for them to repent. He just had mercy on them. Similar to, to you and I, because he sent his son. The Bible says while we were enemies, God loved us and sent his son to die for us, right? But, um, but, but, but the thing that, one of the things that really stood out to me was, was that, that, that night. What a night that must have been for Gideon. When God revealed himself to him and the angel of the Lord said, this is what you need to do. You need to tear down that idol, that, that, that altar. What's the first commandment of the ten, first of the Ten Commandments? What is it? No other gods before me. It's Mother's Day, right? This is not a typical Mother's Day sermon. Do you know what's important to mothers? I know I'm not a mother, but I, I, I do. I, knew, I think I know this. I think I got it right. What's important to mothers is family. And if you care about your family, this is really pertinent stuff. Because before Gideon could do anything for his family or anything for his nation, his brothers in arms... He needed to get right with God himself. So as we close in prayer, have you gotten right with God? Are you right with him? Have you made your peace with God? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the one who offered himself so that you could be forgiven? Have you taken that stand? There are people who are waiting for you to take that stand. If you, have, if you have accepted Christ and you haven't been baptized, what are you waiting for? Do you realize what God can do with that baptism? God wants to work in our families through us. He wants to work in our nation through us. And we don't feel adequate, and we're not. But he is more than sufficient. And he says, he'll be with you. You know, it says later on, it says that God clothed himself with Gideon. What an incredible statement. It says the spirit of the Lord put, you, you can read it. It's, it's amazing. And I think what the New Testament says about you and I and the spirit of God and the spirit of experience we have with the spirit of God. God with us. God's presence. Uh, I want you to bow your heads with me, if you would, please, and, I and I'm going to ask you to pray with me, but I also want to ask you a question. Um, are you here this morning, and has God been telling you you need to make a decision? Or there's something you need to do to get right with him? Or a stand that you need to take or a public profession that you need to make, is there something that God is speaking to your heart about today? If that's your situation, then would you, would you take that step? Would you take that stand? Lord, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for this portion of your word, and I pray that you would bless it to our hearts throughout this day, that we would understand, Lord, better how a blessed life an abundant life, the freedom that we sang about earlier, and the blessing that comes from you. Lord, that we would understand that, that you call us to that, and that you would help us by faith 
to trust you for that and to realize and to recognize the amazing things you want to do in our lives, in us and through us, and in the lives of others around us, if we will simply take you at your word, respond to your call, accept you as Lord and Savior in our lives, and step into that, even when we're afraid. Because you are able. Because you are worthy. Because you are good. Because you are merciful and gracious. Lord, I pray for your people here today that we would do that, that we would take that step, and that today would be a great and glorious day of victory that would change our lives going forward from this day. In Jesus' name, amen.